Professionally Speaking Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Professionally Speaking Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan J. Warner, Director and Executive Coach at Ryan J. Warner Executive Development. And with me today is the Tall and Small Productions crew. We have Keith and Rebecca. Thank you so much for joining us today. Great to be here. Thank you for having us. Thank you so very much for having us here today. I know you're both uh, co-CEOs of the Tall Small Productions, and you're both communications chiropractors. Can you tell the listeners a little bit about what that means? What we do is we come in and help people tweak their communication to get clear. A lot of people use a lot of extra words that aren't needed, kind of like a crab cake with a lot of filler meat. And the fact is, a lot of people go to chiropractors and they're freaked out or they think, so they really know what they're doing. They certify. Can they really fix what I need fixed? We love it when people come to us with a little bit of doubt because that means they have an interest. They've thought about it. And then we go right in there and figure out how do we crack the code to making them a better speaker. We're not in the business of creating speakers. We don't have a style that we want everyone to embrace. Instead, what we do is uncover each person's hidden strengths, that part of them that's magical. And then we throw away all the garbage to make that shine even more. Because everyone is born a public speaker. That's the stance we've taken since day one. Little kids run around the hallways, run around a classroom. They speak, say anything they want. There's natural speakers with their body language and with their voice. But what happens is between the fourth and sixth grade, that big word judgment comes in. And then people start to shut down. And we notice at different stages of life in different decades, people tend to shut down once again because they lose their confidence. Maybe there are changes in their career and their life. And then we help them nurture that back to where it needs to be. Well, this is, I'm doubly fascinated right now. First with the corresponding in perfect sync, uh, switching up with the responses. We've never had that folks. This is a a duet uh, on the podcast for the first time. Uh, But also, yeah, very, very well articulated answer. A question that popped to mind, what do you say to those folks that say, I'm an introvert and I'm just naturally uh, avoidant to speaking because the words don't come to me like some of my charismatic colleagues do? The fact is, because someone is an introvert makes them often a better speaker, a better presenter, because this is the kind of person who spends a lot more time listening to others. And the best presenters say less. They really listen to their audience. And we help introverts embrace an extroverted side of themselves that they already have. Because being an introvert means you need to recharge alone. That's how you get your energy. But it doesn't mean you're uncomfortable on stage. Frankly, I can't stand people as an introvert. (laughs) And he's not lying that much. (laughs) The fact is, as an introvert, it doesn't mean you can't have stretch goals. So anybody that's an introvert says they can't do public speaking. It's only because they haven't taken that time to stretch. That's what chiropractors teach people to do. They teach people to take that stretch. It doesn't mean you got to stay there forever. It just means you got to stretch once in a while. It's a limiting belief that others have put on them their entire lives to the point that they begin to accept it. Interesting. Interesting take. So every introvert has a little bit of extrovert in them. Is that what we're saying? Absolutely. I am a complete introvert. Love being in the woods, talking to trees, being by myself. That's how I recharge. But at the same time, what I love about what we do is that we help people who many times have been stepped on in life, have been treated similar to a doormat because they are afraid to speak up because they don't know how to say their piece in front of other people. So they 
quietly resigned what's going on. We help them stand up and say, no, I, I don't need to take that anymore. I'm my own individual. I have my own mind and I can say my piece. And oftentimes the bullies in their lives are themselves. It's that self-talk, that inner critic that pipes up and tells us, no one wants to hear what you have to say. You're going to mess this up. And that's where we start and work with people with figure out what is it that they're telling themselves that they think no one else can hear or see. So they're presumably saying something or they have this voice in their head that's holding them back and you detect what that is and help them to see it for what it is as a falsehood and surpass it. Unfortunately, many times it's parents and a lot of teachers who say, you know, Johnny, that you're going to make it too far or hey, that really wasn't a good presentation or someone stands up to answer a question and all the other students laugh at him at an early age. That sears in a person's memory for first. And then it goes into repeat mode and becomes that self-talk. Once we're able to untangle that and figure out what's the self-talk, where did it stem from, what happened to you when you were in second or third grade, even if it's something that seems really minute, it can have lasting impacts that get bigger and bigger until it's solved. Wow. So a little bit of psychology here. We, we go deep, folks. This is the deepest we've gone on the Professionally Speaking podcast, I think, to the childhood. You know, the fact is... We do therapy. A lot of people say, well, you're not therapist. No, we don't have a certification from a university or a medical establishment. That doesn't mean you can't be a therapist. Each one of us are a therapist to ourselves and everyone we run into. And we do help people work through those types of issues. When we discover the psychology that's behind a lot of this, the hard way, we had a couple of clients early on, one in particular, I remember we asked her to build her communication style out of toy blocks. And that's something that most people have a lot of fun with, and it helps them to think of themselves in a different place than they would write it out or say it. She burst into tears mm. and she said, I have no idea what my style is because I felt like a robot for a long time. She disappeared. She went into a bathroom, calmed herself down, and then she began to explain why she felt that way. And that's something that's happened time and time again, not the exact same story. But we've watched people really struggle when asked to do something creative or to access a place in their brain where they've closed the door and not even realized it's shut. Yeah, it's interesting how how common that is. That people don't think about it, but it's, it's probably quite common. Extremely common. People, unfortunately, society doesn't take a lot of time for people to self-examine. It's constant go, 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 climb the ladder, keep going, pushing yourself. But that time you have alone, that time under a tree, the time to really self-examine yourself. Is this what I enjoy doing? Do I find pleasure in this? Do I even want to walk into this office every day? Taking that time for many people is shocking. It's like hitting a brick wall at 60 miles an hour. It hits them and they have to regenerate their whole life story. Yeah, I know you just sparked a thought in me. And I know we're, we'll, we'll get back to the, to the main script in a moment. But yeah, I remember having a conversation with, uh, with a dentist once uh, and I asked, I said, did you always like, do you enjoy your job as a dentist? Do you really like it? And there was a very long pause, almost awkwardly long. And then I said, like, did you hear me or did you forget? And she's like, no, I just, I never really thought about it. I just go to work and I do it. And exactly. you see that one time we had a client whose sales numbers had gone way down and we were brought in to help her figure out what was wrong in her sales process? And as we were talking to her and got a sense of how stressed she was in life, we said, what do you do for fun? Same response as the dentist. She 
had deer in the headlights and she yeah. said, I don't need to know. I don't remember. You know, to, to your point, this is really funny. When Rebecca and I got married, we got married at a courthouse, <laughs> which is really funny because we had a client meeting right after that, about 30 minutes after our marriage. But the person who was marrying us wasn't in the best mood. And they just were like, let me just read the lines, get this over with. But Rebecca, after we're done <laughs> the ceremony, in this little concrete, you can imagine, room with plastic flowers. Jail cell. It's lack of any, <laughs> any, any style. Turn to the woman and said, do you like your job? Did <laughs> you like, no, I really don't like my And then job. she went on to tell us all the problems. And I realized we can't turn our off switches. We constantly, you walk into any room and automatically we pick up on people energetically. We pick up on who might be feeling sad, who's frustrated, who's feeling stuck, and didn't even realize those words as they came out of my mouth. And then I couldn't take them back, realizing this might not be the time at our own wedding. But she went it's on to realize <laughs> how unhappy she was in life. I could just, I, I envisioned that perfectly, especially with the, with the prison cell depiction that you oh, yeah. in my mind. But I can just imagine her looking up and saying like, like what do you think? Like, do you think this and is my aspiration? What's really funny about this area, too, is it's on the second floor in this place in Baltimore County, Maryland. One side's the marriage area, and down the other hall is the divorce area, and everyone comes together yeah. at the elevator. I, I, yeah, yeah, there's probably a lot of emotions that are coming through there. Wonderful planning. All right, so let's turn back the clock a little bit, and we'll have to we'll do this one at a time. So let's we'll do ladies first. Let's start with Rebecca. Rebecca, yeah, please tell our listeners. Did you always want to be a communications chiropractor or when you were younger, did you have another kind of career path in mind? I thought at one point I wanted to become a teacher or a librarian as a really little kid. But from the time I was little, I was obsessed with people and with understanding how they thought and moved. I didn't do it in the nicest way. I was a shy kid. I was two or three and would imitate people, their body language. I would try to figure out why they moved certain ways get up really close behind them, and my parents would have to yank me away and explain that that wasn't the nicest thing to do. <laughs> but I loved getting to know people. And then from that, it sparked an interest in journalism okay. and became a print and TV journalist, and then eventually moved into writing and spokesperson work, and then here we are. And the writing to spokesperson, what was that like? It was all at the same time. After oh, okay. being a print and a TV journalist, I would take on all different freelance assignments and some of them involved both spokesperson work as well as writing. And I found that the more in life that you could treat the two as the same, the more the written word sounds as the spoken word, then it would be absorbed even better. And it made me realize how many people not only need to learn how to communicate orally, but also in writing, because a lot of times people freeze up in both. Yeah, that is that is really interesting because there's been, I mean, it's well documented in research that over 90% of people are naturally either one or the other, like a speaker, a listener, or a reader and a writer. And one of my favorite authors, Peter Drucker, he pointed that out in a, in a couple of his books. And it, it was just eye-opening to me. You know, you learn so much uh, about yourself the older you get. And I always struggled with reading. As a child, my parents would, you know, sit me down, force me to read, and then quiz me on the contents of each page and I just, I could read it, but it, nothing, it wouldn't stick. Right. Like, it, but if someone told something to me or if I heard it, then I, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm good. Um, and I would always ask my parents questions and, you know, to much to their frustration when they didn't have the answers and they're just, just go read it, just go Google it, just go, just go find it. 
but uh yeah sorry to take you on that that side note but that's that's what we do here on the podcast that's interesting i never thought about it that way oh thank you for the save i appreciate it um so (laughs) keith let's turn over to you uh what was your journey like well unfortunately in sixth grade i had a sudden revelation that i was not going to make it as a break dance it was my original, after watching Break in the movie, I thought, you know, I got what it takes, but that did not seem fit to work. And I really noticed because of involvement in other civic groups or religious groups, I seemed to be the person to do the presentation. You know, when they have a group and they're like, who's going to explain this to the crowd? I was that person. I really think it was because they didn't want to do the rest of the work. So I just explained, you guys do the work. And then I realized math wasn't my thing. But public speaking, I could always talk. I could always convince and persuade. And that took me into a journey of working as a lobbyist, as a CEO of a chamber of commerce. Being that spokesperson, I found that to be the most exciting because you got to have the fun of theatrics and improv and comedy at the same time. And that really led me on that journey to take jobs and opportunities. And then when we got together, we would go to conferences and listen to speakers. And we thought, my they're paying this person that much money and they can barely communicate. They're boring the crowd. Everyone's on their phone. Like we can do a much better job than this. And that's when we realized we can help people out, not only become better speakers, but ourselves become keynotes to get those opportunities. And for both of us, what really sealed was an accidental fortune. One night we were emceeing a gala together and there was a separate auctioneer and we were donating our time to MC. The auctioneer turned out to have way too many drinks to the point that she thought the auction had already occurred and got an Uber and left the event before it. And they turned to us and said, (laughs) can you two auction? We're not fast talkers, but we are storytellers. We said, game on, let's do it. Challenge accepted. And that adrenaline rush on stage from raising money, from being able to raise hundreds of thousands of dollars that we couldn't write a check for, for a good cause made us realize the power of what we were onto, not only in the day-to-day working world, but how we could harness what we do together for good. What a story. I'm still, my, my brain's still processing the, <laughs> how that unfolded for you. And I can only imagine you're stepping up to the plate for the first time. But I, I mean, in your defense, there's really nothing that could go wrong. Even if you did poorly, it would have been way better than the, the person who left the <laughs> day. We didn't, you know, we always say in life, lower your expectations because it can only get better than it's a, it's a philosophy we have in everything we do. We go to a gig or a hotel, we expect the lights not to work. Maybe the temperature is too hot and you name it. But it's the same thing when we go to these events, people have these ideas. We always say, lower the expectations and then you'll come out feeling better about it. And that same feeling that you get from raising money, we find that completely is that flame on a daily basis. Today, one of our clients who we spent months with landed a dream job and everything in her life is coming back together. On Friday afternoon, another client we've been helping through the interview process and his LinkedIn profile, how to communicate on both, he got a job offer. And every time our clients get these wins, we feel them in such a tremendous way and it makes us realize how many more people out there we can help get to where they need to be. And we're obviously still unemployed. I mean, here's... <laughs> sure. I mean, it, it's tremendously gratifying. I mean, I can relate to a lot of what you're saying and it, it's, it, there's nothing really like it when someone you help, uh, to achieve greater success and ex- achieve their potential. They, you know, are, they show it to you and they say, look what I've done. Thanks for your help. There's, there's really, for me, there's no greater feeling in the world, right? Like that's, 
Well, because you know that their lives, the rest of their lives and future generations will be changed by something you did. And future clients, because it's one thing when we tell a client, we can help guide you to where you want to be. You put in the work, we'll put in the work, you're going to get further ahead. That only means so much. But when they see the track record of this person's now here and this person's gotten this, it gives them the hope they need to have the mindset and energy to get where they need to go. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it makes 100% sense. And a lot of people sometimes overlook that, I find. But back to your your point, uh, Keith, about the keynote speakers and talking about them, like seeing them at a conference, the, the folks that maybe have a high level position in a company, but are not great speakers. And like I've seen, they've had to adjust the speech halfway through and take this like C-suite executive from this really well-known company. I'm not kidding you. It was a, a conference in San Diego and they had to stop it and then bring out two chairs and have someone ask them the questions one at a time and help really like steer their answers and even then, oh. the answers were short, and it was very, very abrupt. And I, I couldn't help think after that, like, wow, like I, I, I don't know, I don't know how this came to pass. Like, who, who greenlit this? You know, I blame a lot of it on our, our education in school, many schools, not all schools, but a lot of schools create that book report type model. Let's stand up. What happened? Tell us the middle. What you're closing? There's any humor there? Any fun? You have to read it from notes. There's no teaching of improv and theater missing in many schools these days, unfortunately. And they really killed the ability for people to communicate in large audiences and, and the reliance on what I think is a very big evil in the world, and that's PowerPoint, and the use of teleprompter. I understand the need sometimes for PowerPoint, but in many cases, it's not needed. It's a crutch. And then at that point, you wonder, this is really an email. It's not a keynote. We were at a big conference this fall, and every speaker, the teleprompter, to the point where people were looking down and reading the words, "Lo, I am excited to meet you. I mean, chat GPT could have done a better job. <laughs> Are you serious? So you're a grown adult and you can't say good morning? And your name? <laughs> and, and yeah, and look at people while you say it. You have to look down to read it <laughs> off the, the script. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, as a professor, like I'm a professor at a university and, and we do the same. Like, uh, I shouldn't say we do. We, we see the same thing in that. The PowerPoint is, it's sometimes it's mis, I don't say mistaught, but it's definitely not, it's utilized effectively. Like people do default to, oh, I have this PowerPoint now. I'll just throw everything on there. And then that's my presentation, right? Like no one's uh, until they actually learn, hopefully one day that no, it's, it's there to help you sort of support your, your content. It's not there to replace you as the presenter. Right. And it's unfortunate how many people they, they take that and they, they actually, they, they go their whole careers like that. They do to the point where one time we were brought in to teach presentations to a group of scientists and the flyer that went out about it called it naked presentations because they felt the people should know there's not going to be a PowerPoint. Yeah, I'll never forget the flyer had a naked man with a barrel around him. And that was the advertisement. Am I going over Niagara Falls? <laughs> 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 yeah, I'm curious about this. Tell me, tell me if you've ever had this because when I started uh, training and coaching, I started. I came from the world of academia, and I've done a lot of research in linguistics and phonetics and speaking, all those things. And I thought that my naive thinking was, oh, I'll just 
help this company or these executives. I'll give them all the vocabulary, give them all the tools they need, the phrases, and they will go out there and they will persuade, influence, close deals and conquer the world. And what I came to realize was that unfortunately I could give them the best linguistic tools available, but if they don't recognize opportunities and if they don't assess the situation accurately, or if they don't kind of know, can't read the room, then that all goes out the window because it doesn't occur to them as an option to use the right phrase or the right approach at the right time. Uh, so I kind of had to, to take a step back and had, I found that I had to do some research and, and upgrading myself in that area to really help those execs. Have you ever had anything like that? Oh, every day. Every day. I mean, <laughs> being completely oblivious to the political situations going on in hand. And, and that's another thing is, as human beings, as we say we've evolved, but really we've lost the ability. If you look at prehistoric human beings, they walked into a forest or a savanna or wherever, they listened to the birds, the threats, the weather, predators. They had the ability to take in situations. They had the ability to communicate with the tribe, communicate with other tribes. We've lost a lot of that, our ability to walk into any place. Because body language, as you well know, is 70% of communication. People aren't even paying attention to the subtle things. Every little movement, whether it's, it's small micro-expression or more physical, has huge ramifications. But we've lost that ability. And then when you have the tools, such as the teleprompter or the PowerPoint, it only further puts blinders on people, the speakers, where they have no idea what the audience is feeling or thinking. And Keith and I see every speaking event as a dance. And you're only as good. It's how the audience is receiving you. And if you keep talking and they look dead, you're not doing anything for them. You're horrible. It's no different than, let's say you're in a garage and you're playing with your buddies in a band. You think, man, we're, we've made it. we got to go on a stage. You start playing and no one's dancing. You're horrible. You're not good. I don't care how good you sound in the garage. If no one likes it, you're not good. You can't say to yourself, we're good. You have to have some other people rating you. And in a society where we pride ourselves on the technology and also by bragging about how busy we are, people often measure their success in public speaking by how many hours they went into prepping for whatever they did. And it really shocks them when we tell them, we don't care whether you spent 15 seconds or 15 hours. How did it go? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I'm a hundred percent guarantee that if someone, the average person spent 15 hours preparing for a presentation, 14 and a half of those were the PowerPoint. Yeah tweaking their slides, you know, should the blue background is sky blue or should it be a little bit more pale blue? Like, what do you think? It's like, yeah, that's going to move the needle. That's going to help the audience. And they're always like, oh, I I forgot slide number six. First of all, don't even tell them you forgot it. No one will know anyway. And we'll say that was a really good one. I can't believe I forgot it. I was a joke here. And that's like going to a restaurant and then handing you an empty plate and said, well, we're out of this dessert, but on this plate, you would have had an incredible chocolate cake. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting, but that's, that's what I found too. When people, I think it's because, I mean, psychologically, it feels tangibly, it feels like they're doing something like they're making progress on their deck, but you and I, okay. we all know it time would be better spent rehearsing or, you know, doing 10 other things that they could help them. Yeah, you both have had unique and interesting journeys. And yeah, thank you again so much for coming on the podcast. But I have to know, I'm, I'm just so curious, knowing what you know now, if you could go back and give some advice to yourselves when you were coming out of college, maybe 2021, 20, what would you say? Worry less, think less. Okay, that's pretty good. I should have started this business with Rebecca a lot sooner. That's what I would say. 
Was it on the table? Did you have the opportunity to? No. No. Well, then- <laughs> the day we talked about it, we <laughs> laid it out in pencil on a piece of paper, not realizing at the time the value of doing that because a pencil you can only erase so many times and you would see every timeline you missed if you kept erasing it. And we created a couple of your timeline and we start to it. I grew up with the idea you got to have the paycheck every two weeks and was freaked out about that thought of being an entrepreneur. Rebecca was the brave one and said, yeah, it's very doable and safer than having a job. Because in many ways in a job, you can be fired in a heartbeat. Here, you kind of make your own bed. And I wish I would have done that earlier. I really do. It is, I, yeah, you and I have, we, we share that as well. I came from that same upbringing where get a, get a job and, you know, study mm-hmm. paycheck type thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. So, wait, wait and, and then last question, again, I'm just super curious. How did you two meet? Mm. <laughs> well, I, I, I got parole early. So oh, wow. We actually, yeah, <laughs> with you. I like to make the story more juicy. That's you juicy. Know, I was, yeah, I was cheap on LinkedIn and I was the head of the Chamber of Commerce, and Rebecca reached out that she was interested in joining the Chamber of Commerce. And so we can have customer services king in any. And business. I saw this is just a business a friendship, and it did start that way. We were friends for about a year, not knowing that Keith had a. So yes, I, I might have abused my role, but what are they going to do better now? And the fact is, I provided good customer service, making sure the application was written perfectly, and it was a smooth entry into the Chamber of Commerce. Yes. And it was a, a very old-fashioned courtship in the sense that we were friends first. Every single day we went and grabbed coffee and talked. And that really created a foundation not only for our personal life, but also our professional We utilize the Amish method of sporting <laughs> in our... <laughs> I don't, I'm, I'm going to... I don't even know exactly what that means, but I'm going to try to... Envision. I just think it's out of cool. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, and I, I love that. I think you may have given the best customer service that anyone has ever given. I don't think anything's, you know, I married this customer. Okay. That's how I'm I, don't think, to close I don't think many chambers <laughs> know the level of customer service that I went to. <laughs> I do anything for this company. I, I, mar- I married this one. That's- <laughs> Dedicated. I die, but lay on a knife. <laughs> oh, excellent. Excellent stuff. So, uh, fo- if uh, the folks listening out there, if they want to get in touch with you, obviously they're going to love what, what you're, what you're saying and you're going to help improve them, help give them more opportunities and reach their potential. Mm-hmm. How can they get a hold of you? Where can they go? They can head straight to our website, which is tallsmallproductions.org. Excellent. And you're both very active on LinkedIn. I know that because I've communicated. Once in a while. LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, look us up, find us, contact us. We'll talk to anybody. Doesn't Excellent. mean we'll work with anybody, but we'll talk with it. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Well, yeah, we will put all of the information in the show notes as well. And like I said, tallsmallproduction.org, all one word. And uh, yeah, once again, Rebecca Keith, thank you so much for coming on and, and sharing thank some of your wisdom with the you. listeners. Thank you. Have Excellent. a great day. Hi, this is Ryan. If you're a fan of this podcast, you might also like my book, The Effective Presenter. In my book, I've distilled my years of experience teaching in universities, giving keynotes around the world, and presenting at various institutions into real-life actionable tips that you can use to level up your career and your success. My book is available on Amazon. It's available in Kindle and print formats, also on Audible. It's available everywhere books are sold. Look for the link in the show notes. And if you're interested in connecting with me, it's www.ryanj. W-A-R-R-I-N-E-R dot com. That's RyanJWarner.com. 
please feel free to get in touch. I'd be happy to chat, happy to reach out, see if we can level up your team, your department, or your organization. Thank you.